Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's a walk-off win for the Indians. It's the Indians 7, the Kansas City Royals 4. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And we did it! We did it! The streak is over! The losing streak is over! The Indians have finally... After a week of losing, of terrible doubleheaders, of getting kind of no hit, the Indians have won a baseball game. And it comes on a walk-off. It comes on a little bit of progressive field magic. I mean, not just a walk-off. Let's get into the storylines. And I, I know the big storyline is two huge three-run home runs in the eighth inning and the ninth inning. But to set that up, to set that up, we got to talk about all the wasted opportunities that came before that. Because I think we can all agree, until one swing of the bat from Roberto Perez in the eighth inning, we felt like it was going to be another one of those nights. Another one of those nights where the Indians had so many opportunities to score and could not come up with a big hit. They were down 3-1 to one for a long time. For a long time. If you, look at the, uh, if you look at the win probability line in this game over here on Baseball Savant, it is strictly in Kansas City's favor uh, until you get to one swing from Roberto Perez. We're up at 89% win probability for Kansas City until one swing from Roberto Perez. So what was happening? What was going on? I mean, we go. it goes all the way back to the third inning. The third inning where the bottom of the lineup, and this happens a couple times in the game, Oscar Mercado and Bradley Zimmer actually set the table a couple of times for some possible rallies, and they don't come through. Uh, Mercado was one for four with a double. Zimmer was one for three with a single and a walk. So here in the third inning... Oscar Mercado actually starts things off starts things off with a line drive double down the line. I didn't get to see this one live. Apparently, this one was reviewed and it hit the chalk, and uh, he gets credit for a double. Bradley Zimmer walks behind him, so now you've got runners on first and second, and uh, nobody out to start an inning. And this is right after the Royals had taken a one nothing lead off a of Plesac. Uh, Whit Merrifield had. Uh, smashed a, uh, a ground ball at Ahmed Rosario that gets past him and out into left field for a hit. Let's see, 93.9 mile per hour exit velocity. Had expected batting average of 590. I'm not going to lie, Ahmed Rosario had a pretty rough day. Uh, I thought he probably should have come up with this. This, is, this was like the first moment where I felt like mm, Francisco Lindor probably would have come up with that ball. But it was clearly they were expecting a hit there. They say it has a 590 expected batting average. So, uh, you know what are you gonna what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? He also had a bad throw that let a runner on later in the game, but that did not turn into a run. So we're down one nothing, but we've got the first two on. That's great. Cesar Hernandez then grounds into a weird double play where it was behind Mercado. He doesn't know what to do. He kind of gets stranded out on the bases. So they get the force out at second of Zimmer. And then they throw across to second. 
or throw across the third and get Mercado going to third and tag him out. Ahmed Rosario would single, so we keep a possible rally going. They would be another runner in scoring position as Cesar Hernandez moves up to second, but Jose Ramirez pops out to first base to end that threat. So, wasted opportunities there in the third. In the fourth, uh, Plesak would give up some home runs. Uh, gives up a big home run to Carlos Santana. Gives up another home run to Hunter Dozier. Both of these are kind of hanging, breaking balls. Uh, Santana's was down, but it was in the strike zone. In fact, everything that Plesak gave up, and we'll get to him in a second, everything he gave up with, that was hit hard was right down the middle, um, including this hanger to Carlos Santana. So it's a hanging curveball to Santana. And then Hunter Dozier, it looks like it maybe was a slider or something up in the zone. It did not register on StatCast. I don't know what went wrong. Uh, they must have turned the StatCast machine off for, I know it's not a machine, for Hunter Dozier's at bat. Because literally nothing registers on Baseball Savant for this home run. They know he hit a home run. There's just no pitch there on the Illustrator. There's, there's nothing that registers. So looking at the replay, it looks like it was a slider that was up maybe. And uh, Dozier cranks that one. In fact, until the ninth inning, every home run hit was on kind of a hanging breaking ball right down the middle until that ninth inning. So, uh, so yeah, so they get two more runs, and now you're thinking, ah, oh, God, it's 3 nothing. You know, it, you're probably feeling like, here we go again, right? The Indians, they're not going to be able to rally. Well, Bobby Bradley gets himself on, a, on an 0-2 count, I believe. Um, he was down in the count and gets a hanging pitch that was supposed to be way outside. Duffy was definitely trying to throw this thing. The catcher, Perez, was set up way outside. And uh, he leaves this one down the middle for him. And he absolutely destroys it for a home run to the seats in right field. And uh, this ball, both balls that Bobby Bradley hit last night were down the pipe. And uh, that is great to see. I mean, when Bobby Bradley is locked in, that is that is such a difference maker in this lineup. All right, but we're talking about wasted opportunities here. That's the real storyline here. And uh, in the fifth inning, uh, Bradley Zimmer with one out would single. Cesar Hernandez would walk. Here we go again. We got runners on first and second. Ahmed Rosario trying to make up for his plays, his defensive plays. It felt like Ahmed Rosario was always an aggressive offensive hitter, but this time. It was a little too aggressive. He ends up fouling off a pitch that, I mean, is a good foot off the plate. That was, you know, basically in his belt, in his belly, and uh, ends up fouling it off to Carlos Santana, who has to dive underneath a, uh, a charging Salvador Perez and uh, gets on Rosario there. And then Jose Ramirez gets a fastball up a pitch that he would normally crank, and he just gets under it and pops it out to left field to end that threat. It wasn't really a great day for Jose Ramirez either. He didn't have a hit on the day. Um, he walks He walks in that ninth inning and scores on the big hit, but that would, all, that would be all he would contribute offensively yesterday. So it was definitely some other heroes stepping up for the Indians. All right, more wasted opportunities here. 
Um, in the sixth inning, again, we get a one-out rally going. Uh, Harold Ramirez singles on a ball that was deflected, and he beats it out. Uh, I feel like that actually happened a couple of times yesterday. Uh, Bobby Bradley then singles on a nice line drive to left field. We got a runner on second. Roberto Perez, though, would then ground out. It was a play that Hunter Dozier knocked down, and I feel like anybody else, anybody else on the team would have uh, beat this thing out. But unfortunately, Roberto Perez, the one thing he is not known for is his speed. And uh, he gets gunned out at first base. He was chugging. He was trying. But he's no Fran Wheels Reyes. And uh, he gets gunned out at first base by Dozier. Where where does he at on his sprint speed? He's in the 12th percentile in sprint speed. So bottom of the league. That's actually not as low as I thought it was going to be. Watching him run to first base last night, I expected that to be single digits uh, when it came to percentile rankings for sprint speed for Roberto Perez. So he gets gunned out, but it moves runners up to second and third. It was a hard hit ball. How hard, how hard was it? Uh, let's see here. This one was hit 99.2 mile per hour exit velocity. It had an expected batting average of 520. So he didn't do anything wrong at the plate. I mean, he he smokes one. Dozier just does a good job of knocking it down and staying with it. And uh, after a mound visit, we got runners on second and third. Oscar Mercado would strike out swinging uh, on a bad pitch, on a pitch that was way, way inside uh, that he had no business swinging at. Um Let's see here. Let's figure out where this pitch was. Um, Let's go over to the pitch types. And let's go over to his matchup with Josh Stamet. And uh, it was a long at-bat. It was a seven-pitch at-bat. He ends up throwing them three sinkers in a row, hard sinkers to end the at-bat, 97-mile-per-hour sinkers. Um, And he just kept pounding the inside part of the plate. He did a good job to lay off once he was down in the count because he fouls off two pitches. So he's down in the count one and two. He lays off a forcing fastball that's up and away, then lays off a sinker inside at the belt. The pitch he would ultimately strike out on, he lays off for the fifth strike. He fouls off the sixth one, which was in the zone, and he fouls it off down the right field line. That was the one to hit. That one was right down the pipe. That was your chance. They, you know... They say sometimes you're even lucky to get one pitch in an at-bat that's hittable. And when, you know, it's like uh, it's like the musical Hamilton, right? You don't want to throw away your shot. Well, he threw away his shot. He got one pitch right down the pipe that he could do something with. A 97.2 mile per hour sinker, but he made contact with it. He was just way behind it. I mean, he was in protect mode. And then he, oh, he swings at a really... Really bad sinker that's up again a foot off the plate inside in his belt. It's the same pitch that basically Ahmed Rosario popped up a few innings ago in foul territory, and he goes down swinging uh, for the final out of that inning. So runners on second and third, another wasted opportunity. Uh, nothing in the seventh inning, but it would all come around in the eighth inning. All right, here's the moment you've been waiting for. Jose Ramirez actually strikes out to start this inning. We're going against Scott Barlow here. And uh, Barlow's been a pretty good 
uh, reliever for them. He was a, had a sub-3 ERA going into it. I don't know what his ERA was beforehand. Coming out of it, he's at a 2.95 ERA. He would walk for Miel Reyes. And uh, the Indians did do a good job of drawing walks yesterday. They were able to draw six walks on the day. Uh, Harold Ramirez would then pop out to the first base. Bobby Bradley would then come up, and he would walk. So two big walks in the inning set the table for Roberto Perez. And let's go to this matchup. Let's see how this one went down. And we got Roberto Perez against Scott Barlow, and he's trying to stay down. Throws him a slider down outside of the zone, ball one. Throws him another slider even lower, ball two. Comes in with a fastball, gets it for a called strike, goes right back to the slider, and this one he did not throw down. This one was at the thighs, and Roberto Perez absolutely smokes it. 102.2 mile per hour exit velocity, 404 feet to the guy with the giant glove sitting in front of the bullpens. Yeah, we see you guy with giant glove. Um, and, it, and it gives the Indians the lead. The Indians suddenly jump from being down 3-1 to one to being up 4-3. And Roberto Perez is looking like a freaking hero. And uh, I'm fist pumping, you know, while I'm watching the game on my phone. Uh, you know, by that time of the night, you know, me and the wife and the dog are settled in to watch some, watch some TV. And, uh, I got the game on my phone and I'm following along and, uh, yeah, it was a big moment down there. And I'm sure it felt good for Roberto Perez, right? Returning from the IL and getting himself another big moment at progressive field. So it's a great home run, but, but Karen Jack would actually give up another home run to Carlos Santana. And Santana was just locked in yesterday. I mean, absolutely. What was the final uh, line for Santana yesterday? He was two for three with the two solo home runs and a walk. They did strike him out once. Uh, the problem for Santana is nobody ahead of him was really able to do anything. Besides for that one RBI hit from Merrifield, that's all he does on the day. Uh, ben Attendee's 0 for 4 with a strikeout. Perez is 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. So the problem for Santana is nobody did anything ahead of him. Nobody set the table for any of these home runs. So in the ninth inning, Karinchek decides to just challenge him with fastballs. Fastball's up. Fastball up for a called or fastball in the zone for a called strike. Goes fastball high again and misses. Goes fastball high again. Uh, goes fastball down in the zone and it gets fouled off. Goes fastball high and misses again. So now he's got it to a full count, and he goes fastball again in the same location where he's shown him two fastballs earlier in the bat, high and away. So clearly, clearly, uh, Karinchek and Perez and Francona and Carl Willis, for that matter, all thought there's no way Santana is catching up with a James Karinchek high fastball. Throws him six fastballs, doesn't go to the curve once, and he finally makes him pay. 101.5 mile per exit velocity, 402, a line drive to a kid's mitt in center field. And actually, a teenager, it'd be really impressive if a kid caught that. I guess a teenager in center field uh, snags it. And uh, yeah, great outfield defense from the fans in center field last night. You know, really stepped up their game. And uh, suddenly it's a tight game and all that good vibes 
from Perez's home run is like just washed away. Karinchek coming in in the ninth inning and he blows a save. What? Are you kidding me? So uh, he would be able to get out of it. He uh, he strikes out Ryan O'Hearn. He gives up a double to Hunter Dozier, but then he uh, he gets Gerard Dyson to ground out to Ahmed Rosario, and then Michael Taylor strikes out swinging. So Karinchek is able to come back and get out of it. He definitely started going to the curveball after that. He threw O'Hearn a couple of curveballs, including for the called strike. Uh, Dozier, he threw mostly curveballs, including the one he hit. And then Dyson gets a bunch of, uh, gets one curveball mixed in there, uh, but challenges them fastballs up, and he cannot. Uh, oh, sorry, that was Dyson. Dyson, he challenges with fastballs up, comes back to Taylor, and goes back to the curveball. Throws him four in a row before finally getting the swing over a, uh, a really high fastball. Taylor had no business swinging at that one and strikes out on a really high pitch. All right, so now we've got the table set for the ninth inning. Bradley Zimmer would actually start things out by grounding out, so he can't set the table this time. It's Cesar Hernandez who sets the table. He gets a ball right down the pipe and lines it into right field for a double. A beautiful Cesar Hernandez double to kick things off in the ninth inning. Ahmed Rosario would actually strike out swinging. I told you he had a rough day for Rosario. He was really trying to make up for those errors, and he just couldn't do it. Then they decide... They're not going to let Jose Ramirez beat them. There's two outs, a runner standing on second. All it would take was a single to bring in that game-winning run. Remember, it's a tie game here. They don't have a lead to mess with. So they figure, okay, we got a base open. We're not going to let Jose Ramirez beat us. Let's put him on. They intentionally walk him, brings up Fermil Reyes, and they decide to challenge Fermil Reyes inside with fastballs. Holland doesn't throw an incredibly fast fastball. It's a 93-mile-per-hour fastball that he throws. First one, he misses up and in. Second one is in the zone, and, I mean, nearly in the same spot. For Fermil Reyes, it might as well have been in the same spot. He just saw it. This one looks a lot more hittable, and he absolutely destroys it out to the seats in left field for a three-run walk-off home run. 105.7 mile per hour exit velocity, 29-degree launch angle, 435 feet, 1,000 expected batting average, a no-doubt-about-it home run for Fermil Reyes. And I'm telling you, they are not going to walk Jose Ramirez next time he's up. They are not. This is... It feels like this might become Fermil Reyes' team. Like, we may have a monster power hitter on our hands here in Fermil Reyes. I mean, look out. I mean, I know he's streaky. I know there's going to be streaks where he just cannot get a hang on anything, where he's striking out on sliders away and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, it happens. It probably happened to Albert Bell and Manny Ramirez and Jim Tomey in the 90s. And we were just kids, and we didn't pay attention to it. And all we remember are the home runs, right? I'm sure there were streaks when Albert Bell, you know, did nothing for a few days and then would come back with some power. And Fermil Reyes absolutely can be that kind of hitter. I think this guy would have been an all-star if he hadn't have hurt that, you know, oblique muscle or whatever it was that muscle in his pulled his muscle in his side in his rib cage if he didn't do that he absolutely would be representing the indians at the all-star game and it's a shame 
It's an absolute shame he's not there. He's going to compete in a home run derby one day. Uh, yeah, this guy, you can just tell the energy, the energy around him as he's rounding those bases on a walk-off home run. It felt like it's it might be his team now. It really might. You know, in the post-game interview, uh, it just felt like he was the leader out there. He was he was kind of the emotional leader out there. And uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was incredible last night. Absolutely incredible from Perez, the veteran, and then for Mio Reyes to both have three run home runs in the eighth and the ninth. That's what it takes to break a losing streak like, like we had, a nine-game losing streak. You need some heroics to beat a nine-game losing streak. And we finally got it from the two guys who had to be called back up from the IL uh, to finally end that losing streak. So uh, overall, it's a pretty good day for the offense. Like I said, everybody except for Jose Ramirez had a hit yesterday. So everybody found a way to contribute. Um, On the pitching side of things, Plesak only goes four innings. It was a fairly competent four innings, but he did give up some stuff right down the pipe. Um, Like I said, if we go over to the results tab over here on the Illustrator, and the big hits are all right down the middle of the plate, including a couple of doubles, including the two home runs. And that single from Merrifield was up, but he was able to get on top of it and smash it. What he was able to do, what the Indians pitching was able to do yesterday, was get them to chase outside the zone. Only one of his four strikeouts came on a fastball in the zone that was a strikeout looking from Dyson. He got uh, Santana to chase a changeup down and away. He got uh, Salvador Perez to chase a slider that swept across the zone. And he got Salvador Perez to chase a slider twice, the sweeping across the zone. Maton, one strikeout was in the zone on a four-seam fastball. The other one was on the outside edge. He got Perez to swing underneath the four-seam fastball, so he got him to go outside the zone. Wickren strikeout. He got a foul tip that was up at the top of the zone from O'Hearn. So he got him to chase a little bit. That one was borderline. The two from uh, Maytown and Wickren were borderline pitches that probably could have gone called strike three. So uh, Shaw gets two hitters to extend outside of the zone, gets Dyson to chase a cutter that was up, and then gets Merrifield to chase a slider way outside the zone. So he gets some chase. And like we said, Karinchek got that strikeout from Michael Taylor. That was way, I mean, at his head, basically. Uh, so, yeah, the Indians pitching get one, two, three, four, five, six, seven strikeouts way outside the strike zone. So that is something that was not happening in Tampa Bay, was not happening against Houston. They were not expanding their zone for Indians pitching. So that is a good sign because I f- I feel like we've watched Indians hitters expand the zone enough and strike out on pitches out of the zone. That uh, And, of course, it happened on the Indians' side. I mean, Duffy gets a couple of, of strikeouts below the strike zone. Uh, Stomach gets one way inside to Oscar Mercado. Uh, Barlow gets a strikeout way down and away from Jose Ramirez. And Holland even gets a strikeout on a slider way down and away to Ahmed Rosario. So, the Indians hitters chase. They were mostly chasing down and the one inside. So let's give them credit. One, two, three, four, five strikeouts. And there was a high strikeout too from Cesar Hernandez. I think that was the first at bat. Uh, no, yeah, it was the first at bat of the game. Uh, he chased a high fastball. So let's give him credit for six outside the zone as well. 
getting the Indians to expand the zone. Going over to the player breakdown here, let's take a look at what Plesek did in his return, what was working for him, and it was the slider that was working for him. On 13 swings on a slider, 7 whiffs. He threw it 18 times, threw it just as many times as his fastball. Uh, he got zero whiffs on his fastball, but he did get six called strikes. So uh, overall on the day, he ends up with a 36% CSW, which is really respectable. I mean, if he stays away from the middle of the plate with those breaking balls, uh, he had himself a pretty decent start. My brother texts me. He goes, man, it feels good to watch a competent starting pitcher again. You know, he, uh, let's see. Let's get the exact quote from my brother because this is important. <laughs> he said, uh, nice to watch a real pitcher. And yeah, and there was a difference out there with Plesak on the mound versus what we've been seeing from the Mejias and the Henches. Mejia is the one that gets sent down uh, for Plesak. Uh, I think Mejia will be back. It sounds like McKenzie is going to get a start at some point in this series. Uh, tomorrow, McKenzie, or today, McKenzie is starting tonight. Um, it's a give me a cloudy overcast day, but it looks like they'll be able to play some baseball. And then Quantrill is getting the start Saturday. And then on Sunday, it's going to be Eli Morgan. So that is your rotation through the All-Star break. That's what we got coming up. So, uh, yeah, a good start from Plesak. Yeah, the home run balls were rough. But other than that, he's got a, he, he was giving up some home runs leading before he went down. That was something that he was struggling with before he went down with that injury in May. Giving up on his second to last start, he gave up three home runs. So it's something we're going to have to keep an eye on if he can keep the ball in the ballpark. But the slider, clearly a pitch that was effective for him, that was working for him. Uh, the rest of the Indians pitching staff, uh, it's all small sample sizes, but I thought they all did really well. Uh, Wickering got in a little trouble, but gets a double play to get out of it. Um, and, uh, Brian Shaw also got into a little bit of trouble and got a double play to get out of it. So both those guys do a real nice job. And then, uh, James Karinczak doesn't get the save. He actually ends up with the classic blown save, but the win situation. So, uh, probably not a stat that many relievers want to carry with them. The old blown save win. So there you go, MVP for the day. Come on, come on. It's got you know what? I'm giving it to both of them. They both get it's a tie for MVP for the day. Roberto Perez and Fermil Reyes because they both had heroic home runs in the eighth and the ninth inning. Hey, it's my show. I make up the rules. Split MVP for the day for uh, Roberto Perez and Fermil Reyes. And uh, you know it's high fives all around because the Indians have finally won a baseball game. So hopefully they can do a little more damage against Kansas City, give us some good vibes going into the All-Star break because we need some good vibes around this baseball team. After a nine-game losing streak, like I said, it's only a week in a 162-game season, but it really felt like it really felt like the pivotal moment where everything was changing. I mean, the Cubs also went through an insane losing streak in the last week. Were they finally able to end their losing streak? Yeah, they were. So they, uh, I think they just got up to like 11 games. And they slipped under 500. The Cubs are 43 and 45. I'm pretty sure when we played them, like a few weeks ago, they were in first place. 
and they have fallen very far to where everybody thinks they're going to be sellers at the trade deadline. Hopefully the Indians can hold that off. I think, I honestly, I'm expecting the Indians to do another one of those trades where they set themselves up for the future, right? Where they get a guy with a few years of team control, or they get some, a couple of AAA people that are knocking at the door. I think if the Indians are going to do anything, they're going to be buying for the future. They're going to be buying for 2022, 23, uh, and setting some things up here. I don't know who, I don't know who would be on the trading block then. You know, what veteran uh, would be on the trading block? Because I still think they think this team can compete. They think I think they think this team can get back in it. And a sweep of the Royals here before the All-Star break would go a long way in convincing Indians fans that maybe they're still in this thing. Although from the looks of this losing streak, going against the Houstons and the Tampa Bays of this world, of this game, it does not look like the Indians are at that level. We still can hand it to the Chicago White Sox, but that's an interdivision rival. Man, when we've gone outside of the division, it has, it's got them pretty rough, right? The Yankees beat up on us. We haven't faced Boston yet. Um, there's still some tough teams out there that we have to face. And uh, I don't know. I just don't know if the Indians are ready to compete in the playoffs against any of those teams. So we'll see what they end up doing, what decisions they make by the end of July. And, you know, can the Indians players force that decision, right? Can they set themselves up to make a run at it? Or are they going to be setting themselves up to maybe, maybe set things up for the next few seasons coming up so we'll see we will find out all right that's all my thoughts thanks for joining me on this cleveland baseball morning you can follow me on twitter at davy barris you can email the show at cleveland baseball mornings at gmail.com let me know your thoughts on the game and we'll discuss them on the show also i'm hosting this podcast on anchor so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash cleveland baseball mornings you can leave a voicemail for the show We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. I can't believe nobody had an email or a phone call for me through a nine-game losing streak, so maybe winning a game will finally convince you to email or call in. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>